Good morning. Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Welcome to everyone who is tuning in from the Contemporary Worship Service and also those online. A man just got married and was returning home with his wife. They married on an island so that they could, they had to cross the lake in order to get home. They, they had like a destination wedding and uh, they spent their honeymoon there on the island too. So, but now it's time to, to go home and they had to cross the lake. They were crossing the lake and suddenly a great storm came up. Uh, the boat was relatively small and and the wind was blowing really hard. And the man had great faith in the Lord. That was one of the reasons she married him, because he did have such great faith. But the woman became very much afraid because it seemed almost hopeless. Yeah, looked kind of scary there. The boat was relatively small, and the storm was really huge. Any moment, they were going to be drowned. But the man sat silently, calm and quiet, as if nothing was happening. The woman was trembling and she said, aren't you afraid? This may be our last moment of life. It doesn't seem that we'll maybe even reach the other side. Only some miracle maybe could save us. The man laughed and he took a knife out of his pocket and the woman was even more puzzled what was he doing? And then he brought the knife close to his wife's neck. And he said, are you afraid? And she said, no, I'm not afraid. As long as you're holding the knife, I don't have any fear whatsoever because I know you love me. So the man put his pocket knife back in his pocket. And he said, this is my answer. I know God loves me, and the storm is in his hands. So whatever is going to happen is going to be good. If we survive, good. If we don't survive, good. We'll spend eternity together in the loving arms of Jesus. What better thing could happen to us? Everything is in his hands. And he cannot do anything wrong. Trust. This is the trust which one needs to live. This is the trust which is capable of transforming our lives. We need to remember that faith and trust is really a gift from the Lord. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. It's important not to get those mixed up. In Galatians 5, we have a list of the fruits of the Spirit. But faith is not in that list. You look to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and you have the list of the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and therein is the gift of faith. The Bible tells us that we are supposed to seek the 
gifts of the Spirit. We are to pray and ask for the gifts of the Spirit. And this is the kind of faith and trust that Elijah had in the Lord. Elijah had been touched by the Lord. When you're called to be a prophet, you've been touched by the Lord. You're convinced that God has called you to this work of prophecy. He, Elijah lived in a, a time very similar to ours. There were those who continued to follow the Hebrew faith in the living God, creator of heaven and earth, but the vast majority of the people were following Baal and Asherah, and they didn't have any time for God. There were many false prophets that proclaimed the name of Baal and they conducted worship services for Baal. Doesn't that sound like today? There's a remnant of believers today that believe in the Lord God Almighty like you and I. We come together on Sunday morning to worship the living God. But the vast majority of people are not in church this morning. They've got other things to do. And really what it comes down to is that they are worshiping power and money and popularity. They maybe don't have worship services, but, but their actions really prove that they think of, love, of the love of money and, and they think of power and they think of popularity as their God. Of course, God was displeased with the Israelites who had gone after Baal. He was really displeased because these were the very ones that God had chosen to be his people way back to Abraham's time. He had chosen them to follow him and to love them and and. He wanted the very best for them. But they went after other gods. And so that leads us to what happens in the first uh, Kings, chapter 17, verse 1. It says, Now Elijah the Tishbite, from Tishba in Gilead, said to the king Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except by my word. That took a lot of faith and trust to step up to King Ahab and tell him that, you know. But he, of course, Elijah knew that God wanted him to say that. But just think if we were asked to go and tell the President of the United States that Things are not going to go well for the next three years. I'm sure the president wouldn't appreciate that. And it takes faith to get up there and for Elijah to do that. And sure enough, it didn't rain in Israel for three years. And finally, it got so bad that King Ahab had to go search in the valleys for water and green grass. He thought maybe he could keep the horses and the mules alive. Otherwise, we'll just have to let them starve to death. 
And while they were searching for some grass and their animals, for their animals, they came upon Elijah. Actually, it was Obadiah. Ob Obadiah was a servant of the Lord. He loved the Lord, but he was a servant. He was part of King Ahab's kingship. And it was Obadiah who came upon Elijah. And I'm going to read this section now. Once again, we heard it read to us earlier, but this is from 1 Kings, the 18th chapter, beginning at the 16th verse. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. But you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Well, Elijah said to all the people that had gathered there, because Ahab called them together, if the Lord is God, he'll burn up this, this bull right here beside me. But if Baal is God, then Baal will burn up that bull over there. And the people agreed. They said, okay, that's fair, okay. But they wouldn't take a stand. They wouldn't stand for either side. And then you kind of know the story, I'm sure, how Elijah takes two bulls, one for Baal to burn up as a sacrifice and one for the Almighty God to burn up as a sacrifice. And all the false prophets who followed Baal cried out to Baal all day long, and Baal didn't show up. The, the false prophets even cut themselves. You hear about cutting Nowadays, too, they cut themselves in order to maybe get the attention of Baal to come and burn up this bull. But after all morning and all afternoon, Baal didn't show up. And so then, Elijah steps forward and, and he has them cover the bull that he wants God, the Father Almighty, to burn up the bull, he, he, covers, he covers it with buckets and buckets of water. Three times over, he just soaked it with water. He didn't want anybody to say, oh, there was somebody over there that had a little fire and all, all you had to do was start the fire. And, and uh, pretty soon the bull would be burned up. But how are you going to start a fire when you've doused it three times with buckets and buckets of water. And then the Lord 
sent the fire from above, from heaven, and burned up the bull. And all the people put their face on the ground, and they shouted, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The Lord had, had touched the bull with fire, and the bull burned up. Elijah had stood before the king in front of all the people that had gathered, all the Israelites, and in front of all the false prophets who were going after Baal. He, he challenged the, the false prophets to this duel, so to speak. He was the man of the hour, calling on Almighty God. And then that very next day, he was running for his life. See how that can happen? Your faith can be as strong as iron one day. And the next day, he's running for his life because he heard that Isabel, or rather Jezebel, had ordered him to be killed. And she had sent a brigade of, of soldiers to go and kill him. But Elijah ran as fast as he could, and he finally got up on the mountain. He, he got inside of a cave. And there in the cave, it's, the Bible says that first there was a strong wind, and the wind was so strong that it blew boulders down the side of the mountain. And then there was, uh, there was a fire, and the fire just burned up the, the side of the mountain. And and, uh, and then there was an earthquake. And the earthquake was so strong that the whole mountain was shaking. And the boulders again were falling down the mountain. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. The Lord wasn't in the wind. The Lord wasn't in. any of those things, but then he sensed the Holy Spirit come to him in the cave. And Elijah knew that it was the Lord. And the Lord said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, well, I heard that the Jezebel, the queen, wanted, me to, get, wanted to kill me, and I, I'm the only prophet left, and so I, I'm hiding. And God got a little bit stern with Elijah, and he said, Elijah, I want you to go and anoint Jehu to be the king of Israel. And I want you to go and anoint Hazael to be the king of Aram. And I want you to go and anoint Elisha. Those two men are fairly close in names, Elijah, Elisha. You are to go and anoint Elisha to be the prophet to follow you. And Elijah went on his way and obeyed the Lord. According to chapter 9 of Matthew, there are two men who were born blind, and they came to Jesus one day. They said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. 
Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus said, do you believe that I can heal you? Yes, Lord, they replied. They placed their trust in Jesus at that very moment. And then it says, Jesus touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, you will be healed. According to your faith, it will be done for you. And they were healed. In Luke chapter 8, the woman who had been ill for 12 years with bleeding said to herself, if only I can touch the edge of his cloak, I'll be healed. And so she ran up behind Jesus and she touched the hem of his garment, the cloak, and she was healed. And immediately Jesus said, who touched me? He could tell that power had gone out from him. And immediately Jesus said, when Jesus, uh, your faith has made you well. And in Luke 6, 9, it says, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. I'd like to listen to a song together. Uh, it's called, I Will Serve Thee. And just listen to the words really carefully.
I know people, maybe you do too. A husband and a wife have been living together maybe 40, 50 years, but they've become distant. They are living separate lives under the same roof. They don't even communicate, maybe not even civilly at least, uh, and not with kindness or with love. And it gets to be a really lonely kind of life. Living by yourself, really. An endurance test, in a way. Existing together in the same home, but not really living together. What a heartache. I know people, maybe you do too. And they have a teenager in the house, and the teenager has shut themselves away, uh, uh, off from mom and dad. They, she doesn't talk to mom and dad anymore. She's been rejected by her peers, and, and the very people that she thought were her friends have rejected her. And she's kind of withdrawn into her own life, her own little world, with pain in her life. Dejected. Hopeless. And she's even cut her... The reason they cut their, their wrists, you know, is, is to let go of some of the pain that they're feeling inside the heart, their hearts. They, they do, in some way, they have to let go of some of that bitterness that's built up inside of them. And, and there doesn't seem to be any hope. She's even considered committing suicide. I know people, maybe you do too, who have lost their husband or lost their wife. My mother was one of those. My mother lost her husband, my dad, in 1998. And when my dad died, my, my mother was a wonderful Christian, but she felt like her life had just shattered. Like there was just pieces left. She didn't have a husband to pray with anymore. She didn't have a husband to prepare meals for anymore or to eat with. She didn't have a husband to talk to before they went to bed at night. She didn't have a husband to fill in all the corners and take care of things that needed to be done around the house. She felt like her life was just broken into little pieces. And she didn't know how to put it back together again. I know people, maybe you do too, that have lost a son or a daughter to cancer or maybe to a car accident or some other kind of illness. And their life is like it's been shattered. There's pieces uh, lying there on the floor. And, and we don't know how to put it back together again. Because it'll never be the same. I know people, maybe you do too, who have messed up their life. They've ruined their lives. They've lost their job. 
They've lost their family. They've lost their friends. All because of alcohol or maybe some drugs. And it, it just looks hopeless because there's no way out. They're, drugs and alcohol have become their master. Heartaches, broken pieces, ruined lives are why you died on Calvary. Your touch was what I longed for. You have given life to me. There's another song that is called Touched by the Master. You've probably heard it many times. It's about an auctioneer who was auctioning off a fiddle, an old fiddle at the auction. And, and he started out, he held the fiddle up and he said, who will give me $3 for uh, this old fiddle? Any, anybody? And there was no response. And then he said, who give me two? Who give me $2 for this old fiddle? And nobody raised their hand. And then he said, Who'll give me one? Who'll give me one dollar for this fiddle? And nobody raised their hand. And then an elderly gentleman stepped up to the front and he picked up that old fiddle and he started playing the most beautiful melody you've ever heard. And when he was done, the auctioneer took the fiddle back and he said, Who'll give me a thousand dollars for this fiddle? And yes, there was a hand that raised in the back over there a bid for $1,000. Now, who'll give me two? Who'll give me $2,000 for this old fiddle? And there was another hand in the back over on the other side raised up a bid for $2,000. And then he said, who'll give me three? Who'll give me $3,000 for this old fiddle? And a hand came up in the front row over here and, and it was a bid for $3,000. And then the auctioneer said, any more bids, any more bids? Going once, going twice, sold for $3,000. What was it that made the difference? He, at first he couldn't sell it for even $1. He ended up selling it for $3,000. It was the touch of the master's hand. Just one more story here. It was 1971, and I was in the middle of my first year of seminary, and I was really enjoying seminary. I was at Northwestern Seminary at Fulham, uh, street just off Como, not far from 280. And it's right where Luther Seminary is today. But I was having a great time going to seminary. It was so different from college. Uh, I went to a state school. I didn't go to a private school. I went to a state school for college. But wow, it was wonderful to be in seminary, studying the stuff that I had kind of been studying before I even entered seminary. And the professors were just really kind, it seemed like. We got to be friends. 
going to class every day, and we were only 40 in a class. And Dr. Mark Hilmer was my Old Testament professor, and he had been attending a Lutheran conference on the Holy Spirit over at the Minneapolis Auditorium. And he said, Gary, have you uh, been going to any of the meetings over at uh, the Minneapolis Auditorium? And, and I said, no, I had heard about it, but really hadn't thought I was going to go. And he said, well, I would encourage you to go. This is the last night to go. And uh, so that evening, I drove over to Minneapolis Auditorium, and, and the speaker that evening was Dennis Bennett. He was an Episcopalian priest who wrote the book, Nine O'Clock in the Morning. I don't know if you, any of you have picked it up or, or, or read it at all, but the, the title it refers to the first Pentecost. That's when the first Pentecost took place at nine o'clock in the morning, and all the apostles were in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit came and, and filled them with, uh, with himself. And he, as Dennis Bennett preached that night, he pretty much just told the story that was in the book, nine o'clock in the morning, and, and so I was familiar with all of that. And, and then he said at the end of his message, he said, now, I want to pray for you. And, and I'm going to encourage you, if you so feel the desire, to raise your right hand as I pray. And the Holy Spirit will touch you. He's here. He promised that he would be here. Wherever two or three are gathered, there am I in the midst of them. And so he started praying, and he prayed. And I raised my right hand. All I did was just raise my hand. And the Holy Spirit touched me. And I felt a peace settle down in my heart like I'd never felt before. And it was peace and assurance and love and forgiveness all wrapped up together. I'll never forget that evening. And you know, I've been touched by the Holy Spirit many times. After that, right here at Community of Grace, when Pastor Angie is preaching, when other preachers are here, I felt the Holy Spirit so strong that it, it just about it, it led me to tears in praise and thanksgiving to God for salvation and for the joy of living in His, in his presence. And then when we sing songs that, where we worship God and we praise Him with our songs and and with all the music, I have a hard time, many times, hard to, to hold back the tears because his presence is so real. And then when we have communion and we come forward and, and we come to the altar, you know, Jesus promised that he would meet us at the altar. And he comes and the real presence, that's what our Lutheran tradition teaches us, that the real presence is there because Jesus meets us and the Holy Spirit is flowing in and through the bread and the wine. And you know what that's called when we come and, and receive the body and the blood and it enters our mouth? It's called the touch of the Master's hand. Wow. This is an awesome thing that 
that we experience right here at Community of Grace. I'm going to pray for you. Let us bow our heads and close our eyes. Every eye bowed, closed, and every, every head bowed. Loving Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we just lift up our hand to you. We reach out to you so that you can reach out to us and fill us with your Holy Spirit to overflowing with the peace that passes human understanding. Come, Lord Jesus, in the midst of our heartaches, in the midst of shattered lives, this broken pieces that that take us down. We pray for those, for us, who have ruined our lives, so that we can break free of that alcohol or that drugs or, or whatever it is that's destroying our life. Lord, come. And we thank you in advance. We praise you, Lord, for your peace and your love and forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.